Chapter 4 Settling in Camp After we dropped our bags, the seven of us ran around the clearing, jumping up and down. I don't know what came over us. The spot was just so amazing, so enchanted. This oasis would be our home for the next two nights, and nothing could have been more exhilarating. The girls commented over and over about the beauty of the place and the wonderful smells. The guys just talked about how much fun it was going to be as they followed my orders to get the two tents set up. We set them up pretty close together so the girls would feel safe. Once they were securely staked down, we started work on the fire pit. We needed to dig a hole and place rocks around the perimeter to make sure the fire couldn't spread. Forest fire is a very real danger in our part of the country. I dug the hole with a hand shovel that I had brought, and I sent Jason and Seth into the woods to search for rocks. It was mid-afternoon by this point, so there wasn't a rush for a fire, but it would be important soon. Marcos moved everyone's bags and pillows into the proper tents, and the girls set up a card table I had packed up to put some of the food supplies on. I explained to them how they couldn't leave it like that overnight. It was a simple invitation for bears, and that scared them into submission. By the time the guys came back with a bag full of rocks, the campsite was looking really good. I was very proud of it. We couldn't have made it any better. It was setting up to be an incredible weekend. We decided to take a hike since we still had plenty of daylight. By my best guess, we had a good four hours before dusk. I had planned to lead a hike once we had gotten camp set up, but I hadn't expected it to be in this part of the woods. I didn't know much about the forest this far in. Of course, I had to act like I did, because as far as anyone knew, this campsite was the original campsite. I led the group into the dense ponderosas and birch and followed what seemed like an old trail. It wasn't marked in any way. There wasn't a dirt path. There weren't any signs or red tin can arrows nailed to the trees, but somehow it seemed like a trail. Man, do you have any idea where we're going? Jason asked. Of course, this is where my dad and I always came, I answered confidently. I think you're lying, Victoria added accusingly. Nice, my girlfriend snapped in her direction. No, really, this is like an old Native American trail. I think it's Hopi or something. I was really laying it on now. I had no idea what kind of trail we were on. Hey, Ava, you're Indian, right? Seth asked. Uh-huh. Why? Maybe we'll run into your ancestors or something, he joked. Ava didn't even answer him. She probably didn't think it was worth it. Dude, she's not Hopi, Jason answered for her. He reached back and slugged Seth in the arm. Ow, he yelped. Baby, Marcos teased him from behind. We weaved through the trees with relative ease, making a roundabout turn back to camp. The conversation was light and fun with a touch of racism. I found it distasteful. But for some reason, our group, which was quite diverse, loved to be mean about each other's heritage. Ava was part Native American. I don't remember what tribe or even if that matters. Marcos is Hispanic. Seth might have some Hispanic background, though distant. And just saying that is probably not even okay to say. Victoria was half Asian American and Josie was part Jewish. Jay and I were plain vanilla. The diversity gave way to some playful teasing every now and then. We made it back to camp as the sun was turning the sky beautiful shades of orange and pink. The forest aroma was rejuvenating. 
It just needed the smell of burning wood on a fire. That's what I went to work on when we returned as the girls started getting food ready to cook. I pulled out my flint and quickly got a spark to fall on some brush, which I cupped in my hands and blew on lightly until I got a flame that I quickly placed on the firewood. That was easy, Jason commented. I always have to drench the wood with lighter fluid. We both laughed. Josie came over and put her arm around mine. It was getting a bit cooler. The fire would offset the cold night, but the temperatures would be a shock to all of us who were used to the heat of the Sonoran Desert. Ava came over and leaned into Jason's chest, giving the four of us a short couple's moment. At times like those, nothing needed to be said. We were simply enjoying one another's company, experiencing that feeling that you belong to someone. Feeling them holding on to you unreservedly. Looking across the fire into your friend's eyes and nodding slightly, quietly admitting, this is good. Something smells like burning, Victoria interrupted our quiet. Something can't smell like burning. It has to smell like something burning, Josie answered. I smell burning, Victoria repeated from the tents. Is it the wood in the fire? I asked her sarcastically. No, it just smells like burning. She answered angrily. That doesn't make any sense, Victoria, Josie said as she looked up at me and rolled her eyes. Seth and Marcos were busy doing something in the tent when Seth called out, Uh, guys! It came from inside the guy's tent. Nobody really took notice, and we continued to try to figure out what Victoria meant. Guys! Seth bolted out. Fire! Marcus yelled from inside the same tent. We looked quickly over to catch those two running from the tent with a dark black smoke cloud chasing after them. Pour water on it, Seth yelled as he ran further away from Marcos. We could see what was smoking now. Marcos was holding a smoldering blanket out as far as he could from his chest. Hurry, Seth, he said in a panic. I can't find any water, he yelled back. I jumped up and grabbed a water flask from my pack, which was propped up against the tent, and I poured it out on the blanket. It continued smoking for a bit, and then I grabbed it from Marco's hands and threw it on the ground to stomp it out. By that point, everyone had gathered around us and were staring down Marcos and Seth for an answer. What the heck, Marcos? Jason finally asked. But Marcos just looked down at his blanket. Yeah, how did your blanket catch on fire? Josie asked. Seth started laughing to himself. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't keep this to myself, he said laughing. Marcos lifted his hands over his face in embarrassment. He brought an electric blankie. He almost couldn't finish the sentence before bursting into laughter again. Marcos, I asked, you brought an electric blanket? But there was no answer. He just stood there trying to hide behind his hands. Everyone looked around the group and all were smiling. It was pretty funny. Our big lineman friend had brought a battery-powered electric blanket to keep warm in the woods. I told you I smelled burning, Victoria blurted, forcing us into uncontrollable laughter. If there had been anyone else in those woods watching us, we must have looked like we were crazy. I guess there was. Marco seemed relieved to be out of the center of attention and started putting hot dogs on our metal campfire forks and handed one to me to start cooking. 
We gathered around the fire again, but soon our arms and legs got tired from cooking the dog standing up. Did anyone bring, like, any chairs? Victoria asked. Yeah, that would have been a genius idea, Josie answered. Sorry, guys, I didn't have any room in my Jeep for anything else, I replied. That's when Seth handed his fork to Jason and snagged a flashlight. Where are you going? I packed some fold-out canvas chairs in the Forester. I'll run and get them. It's not fully dark yet, he answered. A few of the girls clapped at the idea. I had to admit, chairs would make the campfire experience a lot better. In the clearing I had planned to use, there were some short stumps we always sat on, but there were none of the sort here. Let me go with you, I offered. No, Ike, it's cool. I can find my way. It didn't feel right to let him go alone, but you have to respect a fellow man's wishes. I nodded to him and he disappeared into the dense forest in the direction of our vehicles. I turned to rejoin the group. We started eating the dogs that were fully cooked. Marcos tore open a bag of chips. It was really getting dark by the time we decided to open the cooler and crack open some sodas. You would think we'd bring beer on a trip like this, but honestly, none of us drank. Call it what you want. The sounds of the forest were spooky. The crickets chirping, the owls hooting, the breeze rattling the pine needles far above us. It was the perfect atmosphere for ghost stories. We would certainly have fun with those when Seth got back with the chairs. He had been gone a while, at least 30 minutes. You sure Seth's okay? Josie whispered to me. I looked down into her hazel eyes that shone a shade of yellow in the firelight. I nodded to her, but I noticed that across the fire, Victoria was looking into the trees for him. It's just the woods. The forester isn't that far away, I whispered back. Then why has he been gone so long? She spoke in a very serious tone. Hey, no secrets, guys, a voice whispered from behind us. To our relief, we turned around to see Seth with seven chairs folded and strapped over his shoulders. Jason and I helped unload his burden and placed the chairs around the fire. Each one had a large red insignia of Reed Subaru, Seth's father's business. Once we got the s'more started and resettled, I suggested it was ghost story time. The setting could not have been more perfect. The moon was high and full, and the fire crackled softly at our feet. The fire was warm, but but by then we had grabbed jackets and sweatshirts. Seth started with a story about a group of campers who were out in the woods and one of them disappeared, and then a pile of sticks and stones was found outside their tent in the morning. We quickly caught on that he was poorly retelling the Blair Witch Project, and we stopped him. Marcos told the tale of the South American Chupacabra, which is always freaky and it gave us chills. He was a good storyteller for an electric blanket owner. Josie said she didn't have any good stories, and we joked that neither did Seth. Jason had a good one about a Sasquatch, but I think it was loosely based on those beef jerky commercials. To his credit, he did mix in some good suspense. Victoria tried to tell us a story about ghosts in her grandmother's house, but she was a bit muddled on the details, and it lost all of its drama. It was after all these stories, when it was truly getting dark, that Ava's story stole the show. I've got a story, I guess, she started. It's really not about ghosts, though. Not many of our stories have been, Jason answered quietly to her. 
That was enough to give her the confidence to continue. Okay, this is a dream I had last night. It starts, and I'm getting gas at the station, and everyone and everything feels normal. After I come back from paying the nice lady, there's a creepy overgrown black crow on the hood of the car, and it just stares at me like it's reading my mind or it's looking deep into my soul. What? I blurted rudely, interrupting her story. Are you serious? Yeah, she answered back and looked up at Jason with frustration at my interruption. Jeez, Isaac, Victoria spoke. You scared me. What is it? Josie whispered to me with a tone of concern. I'm sorry, everyone. It's just that this morning on my way to school, the exact same thing happened to me. The gas and the crow, everything. What? Ava asked. That's weird. You just gave me goosebumps, man, Seth admitted. Go on. You have my attention, I said. Okay, but try not to interrupt again, Ava said with a smile in my direction. I nodded in agreement and looked down at Josie and shrugged my shoulders. So I walk slowly to the car and I get in, but the crow stays on the hood just looking through the windshield at me. It's freaky, so I turn the ignition and scare it away. Same thing here, I quietly whisper to myself. So I'm pulling out of the gas station and then I flash to another scene and it's panic and there's red lights flashing in the dark everywhere and people are yelling, they're coming, they're coming. And I get this feeling like an evil army is attacking Earth, like aliens from space. There's this little kid that I feel like somehow I have to protect him, like he means something or he holds something important. Ava paused and looked around. Everyone was hooked. Suddenly, we're in an airplane to Europe where I somehow have a house and we believe we'll all be safe in. You just have a house in Europe all of a sudden? Seth asked. Yes, I know it doesn't make sense, but that's just how it was, she answered. That's how dreams work, Jason said deeply, giving Ava more confidence. I don't remember my dreams, Seth confessed. Me neither, Victoria added. Great, now I have something in common with Vicky, Seth said harshly. Shut up, Seth! Seriously, let's get back to the dream, I suggested. Right, so we get in my house in Europe... And we gather some folks and we board up the windows and doors. We're preparing for some sort of invasion. Every once in a while, children would pound on the door seeking shelter and we would let them in. They would always put something in a lockbox, but I never knew what it was and I never knew the combination. Next thing I know, it's like months later and I go outside to look around. The neighborhood is completely destroyed. Every house is rubble. The only building standing other than my house is a giant temple with red and black flags or ribbons or something flowing from the towers into the sky. It was so pretty, but at the same time, sinister. I walk down the street and I see a stop sign with something painted over it. It's a number. 1588. I'm confused. I don't know what the number means, but it feels heavy. Then I see an old lady limping on the sidewalk. I ran over to her and asked her about the number. She pulled up real close, and in a crackled voice, she said, 1588. Fifteen adults, 88 children left, and he won't stop until he has them. He won't stop until he has them. I turned to run away, and I see blackness. And then I woke up. Ava stopped with that, and the group's jaws dropped. It was a terrifying story to hear in the dark, by the fire, in the woods. I can still feel the chills I felt that night.
You dreamt all that? Victoria asked. Uh Uh-huh. That's creepy, Josie added. It can't be a good sign, Marcos said quietly. Come on, Marcos, it's nothing your blankie can't solve. Oh, wait, Seth jeered at his buddy. Okay, it's your turn, Isaac, Jason said towards me, changing the subject. It was my turn to tell a ghost story. I had a few of them picked out for such an occasion. They were all good. I wanted to tell all three, but that probably wouldn't fly. Funny thing is, I never got to tell any of them.